Hi, I'm the person whose closet is put in color order, but I'll also pick up an earthworm without thinking twice. In fact, I did yesterday. <laughs> it needed my help. I'm not afraid to be a little messy. Human nature is messy, but nature nature can help us embrace it. I love the brand seventh generation. Their laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with the power of bioenzymes. That's exciting. You wipe your hands on your pants after you pick up an earthworm. Seventh generation is like, don't worry, hug a dirty tree, huff some bark. It's good for you. That is the power of seventh generation. Find laundry detergent and other laundry products at seventhgeneration.com. I love worms. Oh, hi. It's your friend's dad who bakes great bread, Allie Ward. Hey, how did you get here? Why don't we have flippers? Is a fly my cousin? What is life? Welcome to evolutionary biology. Also, welcome to Smologies. Uh, Smologies are episodes we put out every few weeks. They have been carved out of longer full-length episodes to be kid-friendly and much shorter. But for the full version with adult language and facts, you can check the link in the show notes. Also, thank you to everyone at patreon.com slash ologies for supporting the show. You can join for a dollar a month and leave questions for experts. And thank you to everyone leaving reviews, which keep the show up in the charts. And I read every single one like this small one, this week from Gunga53, who wrote, soothing, inspiring, uplifting, optimism-inducing, fascinating, ologies is good for humanity. Oh, Gunga53, that review was good for my day. I needed that. Thank you. Okay, onward. So evolutionary biology, how living things morphed into what they are now. And in this episode, you're going to pick up some sweet, sweet definitions like taxonomy and genetic drift, plus finch gossip, all about how Charles Darwin had a really wonderful but difficult but wonderful life that involved probably a lot of bad toilet experiences, and what posters and news headlines get so wrong about how things evolve. So please enjoy this chat with an ornithologist from Occidental College in Los Angeles. We essentially boil down that our mutations are our strengths and adaptability is a virtue with evolutionary biologist John McCormick. So are you an, by trade, are you an evolutionary biologist? Yes. Um, that's kind of where a couple different hats, I'd say. Evolutionary biologist is probably the, the broadest one. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes I consider myself an ornithologist as well. I should hope so, as the curator of a bird collection. So do you, would you say that you have like genus and species on the brain? A lot? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, all the time. Because that's a lot of what we do here with a... With a specimen collection, I'll just, you know, naming the basic units of biodiversity. Do you remember as a kid in, in class learning the, like, what was it, King Philip? What is the... <laughs> yeah. What is and, it again? <laughs> well, I can't remember it. <laughs> Let's talk taxonomy, which is how science organizes things. So you may have learned that plants and fungi and animals are classified into domain, kingdom, class, order, family, genus, and species. And you're like, wow, how did you memorize that? Now, the mnemonic device is clutch here. I never remembered the mnemonic device for this. I remember we learned one. I think it was like dear King Philip came over from Germany, comma, so, which is weird. Who ends... What's the so about? What's the rest of the story? Anyway, I never remembered it. Dear King Philip came over for grape soda is another way to remember 
kingdom, class, order, family, genus, species. So calling an organism or a specimen by its genus and species, it's kind of like saying your last name first, but it's what we call Linnaean taxonomy. Even though Swedish ecologist Carl Linnaeus, he didn't really invent it. Someone else did. It was kind of already established. And so tell me a little bit about when you first kind of grasped the concept of evolution. When did you start to realize, okay, mutations are responsible for a lot of these different appearances and behavior and capabilities of animals? Like, when did you start to get excited about evolution? I think it was when I was doing some of those early readings in high school. I know there are other people that have have spoken at more length about evolution than Carl Sagan, who was mm-hmm. principal, principally an astronomer and cosmologist. And, um, but it was some of his books um, that, that delved more into evolutionary ideas that got me into it. From there, John studied at University of Arizona, and he took an evolution class by Dr. Nancy Moran. And it was really there for the first time that I learned just kind of the the basic framework of evolution and its processes mutation, natural selection, and then some things I'd never heard of like genetic drift, which is the sort of random way that evolution can can take gene frequencies and populations. What's an example of genetic drift? How do you describe that at a cocktail party to someone who's... <laughs> well, I guess I'd point to the M&M bowl and I'd say, uh, take a small handful of M&Ms and you end up with three green ones. <laughs> instead of the full, you know, rainbow colors, mm-hmm. that's genetic drift. And that's that's what can happen in, in populations sometimes. Generation to generation, you don't always get a, a random draw of the mm-hmm. genes that are out there. Sometimes you get a very non-representative draw, and that can have a big influence on evolution. And I, uh, I kind of like the idea that there's that sort of chance element in there too, as well as kind of the more what we call deterministic or kind of the more predictable outcomes of natural selection. Let's take a quick Darwin detour. Who was he? Why should you care? I'm going to run this down as quick as I can for you. So Charles Robert Darwin was born in England in the early 1800s. His father was a super rich doctor and Darwin tried to go to medical school, but he hated it. He hated it. He was also the grandson of prominent abolitionists, which is cool. And he loved nature and geology. He loved collecting beetles. God, he loved it. His dad was like, kiddo, you're a loser. And Darwin was like, dad, can I just go on this boat, the HMS Beagle and travel the world and I'll write about it. Will you please finance it? Rich dad and his dad reluctantly agreed, but at one point said to him, you ready for this? Quote, you care for nothing but shooting, dogs, and rat catching, and you will be a disgrace to yourself and all your family. But, haha, jokes on you, Pop. Charles Darwin did a bunch of writing, kind of like travel blogging, but with more dysentery and smeared ink. And his diaries were made into a popular book, The Voyage of the Beagle. It was on these travels that he started to come up with a theory of evolution, but it took him years of tinkering and rewriting an illness, which may or may not have been Chagas disease from a parasite on something called an assassin bug. And he was also a little thwarted by, I think, procrastination. But finally, he published his On the Origin of Species, his book in 1859. It was a huge deal. He also kind of published it alongside a contemporary of his, Alfred Wallace. Now, 
Alfred Wallace. Never heard of him before I started researching this episode. He was working on a super similar theory, but he had a harder and more impoverished life than Darwin. Like, Wallace's ship full of work sank to the ocean floor. He was adrift at sea on a lifeboat. Alfred Wallace, who no one ended up caring about, but back to Darwin on the Beagle trip. So Darwin stopped for supplies in the Galapagos Islands off the coast of South America, and he noticed that different animals on different islands had slightly different features. For example, all those finches. Why do they have different beak shapes? They got crushing bills. They got probing bills. They got grasping bills. What are these bills? Ah, they must be adapted for different food sources on each little tiny island climate. So what is it about birds that make them prime for studying evolutionary biology? Why birds? Well, people freaking love birds. There have been a lot of them observed, described, collected. So there's a good base of knowledge there, as opposed to like slime molds, which nobody goes to hunt down and marvel at. Probably a few people do, and I hope they're friends with each other. But anyway, birds. And the starting place for a lot of that is what is the evolutionary tree of relationships? Just knowing who is related to whom is an important starting point. And if you don't have that, then that's kind of your first step. And so with birds, they've been worked out well enough that that first step is kind of already completed. And you can sort of jump to answering some of the the, the broader questions. Because you know the characters in the story. <laughs> Exa- exactly, right. Do you ever look at yourself or people in your life and say, way to go, J-Man. I am the result of a bunch of evolution. (laughs) It is a pretty marvelous thing when you think about it. I tend to not focus so much on humans as the pinnacle of evolution. Ouch, you have a point. And I like to look at other situations and marvel over the, the millions of years of evolution that produce some remarkable radiation of birds, uh, for example. But um, when you stop to think about it, everything that's alive today is the survivor of essentially 3.7 billion years of evolution. It's a matter of trial and error. All those species, millions and millions of species that are crawling around on this very thin crust of the earth Uh, are the products of that 3.7 billion years of evolution. And it's it's a remarkable thing, you know? And and each one, even from a bacteria to a human, has evolved just as much through just as much time. I think it's easy to think about certain species alive today as being more evolved than others because maybe they... um, have a few more adaptations or they look more complex. But at the end of the day, that bacterium and that human were all the products of 3.7 billion years of evolution. Let's let's debunk some flimflam. Okay. What is a myth about evolution that you feel like people hang on to other than just creationism? Right. So I think one of the great myths is embodied in that classic symbol of evolution where you see sort of the chimpanzee evolving through something that looks like a Neanderthal Mm. into modern humans. This linear illustration of primates up to modern humans is called the Road to Homo sapiens. It's also been called the March of Progress, and it was published in 1965 in a Time Life Science 
volume. You've totally seen it. It has silhouettes of gibbons and then chimps and apes all kind of marching in a line up until you get to these like tanned, muscular Neanderthals. Now, rather than this linear evolution, evolution looks more like a tree, as they call it, a tree of life, where one thicker branch represents a common ancestor and then new species kind of branch outward. So that's called phylogeny. And Darwin sketched it in one of his Beagle era notebooks with the words, I think, scrawled above it, which I think is super adorable and very humble. Okay, back to that road to Homo sapiens linear evolution illustration and how that's not really how things happen. Although it's even used by people who are pro-evolution, um, I think it kind of leaves people with a, a misimpression of how evolution actually operates. Um, because, you know, chimpanzees and humans are each other's closest relatives. And, you know, humans didn't evolve from chimpanzees. We evolved from some common ancestor that we shared Mm-hmm. with chimpanzees. And so that that depiction of evolution is kind of, um, you know, following a linear pattern. Right. Uh, it, it, it belies the true branching history of evolution that's underneath. And uh, one of the most common questions you get is, if humans evolve from apes, why are there still apes? Right. And again, it, it's it's embodied in the in that symbol that that's not true. We didn't evolve from apes. Uh, gorillas and chimpanzees and us all evolved from a common ancestor that was neither an ape nor a chimpanzee nor a human, but something else. For more on this, you can see the recent gorillaology episode or the classic primatology episodes. Although as of yet, we don't have those in kid-friendly smologies forms, but there are bleeped episodes and transcripts on our website at alleywar.com slash ologies extras, which will be linked in the show notes. And for every episode, we donate to a related cause. And this week, we will send it to a cause that John has supported in the past, the Ornithological Council, which supports bird science and the people who do it. So learn more at birdnet.org. And that donation was made possible by sponsors of the show. Oh, KiwiCo. We love you. Kids love you. Parents love you. Uncle Allie's love you. Here's the deal. So whether you're staying at home or you're heading out on some summer explorations, KiwiCo is inviting kids, also kids at heart, that's you, to enjoy their first ever summer adventure series. So kids from two years old to teens can receive six hands-on science and art project kits over six weeks. They have something for everyone. They have different topics for each age, whether your kid wants to explore space or learn about dinosaurs. And I've heard from my parental friends that summer can be a little challenging to keep the kids busy. Kiwi goes like, we did the legwork for you. And the Summer Adventure Series is this personalized experience with super fun activities like a bottle rocket kit where kids can build an actual bottle rocket. And you can either receive all of your summer adventure crates at once or weekly for six weeks. I think it's so amazing that they have different crates for different ages. Everything from the great outdoors that has like giant bubbles or a window garden to a trebuchet kit for ages 9 to 14. An entrepreneur where you can do textured clay projects. If you have kids, if you know kids, keep them occupied and learning and having fun this summer with KiwiCo. And you can get 20% off your summer adventure series at kiwico.com slash ologies summer. That's 20% off your summer adventure at kiwico.com slash ologies summer. Oh, have fun. 
You know what's essential to science? It's not a lab coat, it's skepticism. You know me, I'm down rabbit holes, I'm looking at charts, I'm checking conflicts of interest at the bottom of published papers. And this is helpful because it means I don't buy stuff I don't need. And if you're one of me that can spot a too good to be true health hack from like a mile away and you read labels like it's your job, congrats, you're a skeptic. One brand of vitamins that is literally made for us is called Ritual. It's a multivitamin that exceeds our standards. They have clinically backed essential for women 18 plus. It has high quality, traceable ingredients. They're in clean, bioavailable forms. They're also a certified B Corp, female founded. Just today, one of my powerhouse friends was like, ah, found out I'm vitamin D deficient. I was like, yo, ritual, dude. When I forget my multivitamins, there's much less pep in my step. I have noticed. They're also very beautiful. They look like tiny lava lamps with little tiny beads in them. There's actually a scientific reason for this, but I got to wrap it up. So no more shady business. Rituals Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash ologies. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash ologies for 25% off. Get that D. Okay, and now questions from y'all. You can submit questions by becoming a patron for only 25 cents an episode at patreon.com slash ologies. So questions from y'all. I do have some questions from listeners, yeah. and I don't know if they're going to be easy questions. You can you can say pass on any okay. of these. Dr. Tegan Wall wants to know, what are the best ways to differentiate bad post hoc Evo bio claims from actual science? Example, bananas evolved to be eaten by humans because we have hands. Things like that. A lot of the examples of evolution you see written about in the popular press kind of fall into this trap of portraying evolution as though it responds to needs. Mm. And sometimes this is just loose shorthand. I have heard that people get like a, a, a science teacher tell me she hates when she hears like, oh, this species evolved because it wanted this. Exactly. Yeah. And so, right. The recent example was um, birds that have evolved to feed off of bird feeders in Great Britain. So birds have evolved longer bills to feed off of bird feeders was kind of the headline mm -hmm. that you saw. And it kind of gives this impression of evolution that it responds to needs. The birds right. sort of thought to themselves, look, I, you know, I really need a longer bill here. And so let's, <laughs> let's go for that. You know, let's try to reach that pinnacle mm -hmm. of evolution. Can we have the bill, please? Again, underlying that is the true evolutionary mechanism, which is um, differential survival and reproduction. Differential survival and reproduction, just being fancy talk for little variances in genes mean good mutations, which help a plant or a bird or a snail thrive and mate in its particular environment. Boom. Natural selection. You know, the way I would say it would be much longer. Um, it would be something on the, along the lines of birds with longer bills were able to feed more effectively from bird feeders and thereby produce more offspring, which led the population as a whole to have longer bills. Now, you can understand why a headline writer isn't going to go there. Right. Why I don't have a job as a headline writer. <laughs> Breaking news. Birds with longer bills were able to feed more effectively from bird feeders and thereby produce more offspring, which led to the population as a whole having longer bills. It's, it's very wordy. Moving on. Dustin Growick wants to know, what are your favorite evolutionary anachronisms? You might be talking about 
like structures, like holdovers, evolutionary oh. holdovers that that don't have a oh okay, so he's that don't have a um, a use anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, the hip bones, the tiny hip bones of modern whale, are a great evolutionary anachronism because they really speak to the fact that special creation. If you believe that each species is created perfect um, for its particular niche on Earth, why would modern whales have tiny hip bones? Mm-hmm. Unless there's something in their evolutionary past that points to the fact that they were once land animals. I've never known that. That makes me want to go look at whale skeletons now. Like, oh, whales, you don't need that. Yeah, why are you carrying that around? It's overpacking. (laughs) Um, Celestia wants to know, are there any species that we can see current evolving happening in order to adapt to our modern world? Viruses. Oh. Viruses are constantly evolving. To humans and the flu virus that's hitting us in one flu season is going to be, um, you know, yesterday's news next year, there's going to be a flu virus 2.0. And that's evolution that you can see over the course of generations, just a couple years even. Um, another great example is antibiotic resistance. Ooh. That's another scary one. And um, sometimes people don't necessarily file that under evolution, but they should because it's a direct result of natural selection pressures that we are placing on bacteria through um, our overuse of antibiotics. The reason we're getting these superbugs is because of evolution. Now, what has been your favorite moment, say, out in the field on an expedition? Like, have you ever had a moment where it's just like, ah? The moments when you can take people out to an incredible field site, people who are either just getting excited about science and biology or birds, and you can take them to a place that you've been to that's just way out there and is just incredible. Um, Those are the moments I live for. So we got a chance to do that recently when we went up into the mountains of northern Baja. There's a mountain range called the Sierra San Pedro Martir, and it has basically been untouched by human habitation anyways in modern times. Um, There's still cattle that they run up there, but um, nobody really lives up there. And you almost don't see any place like that in the United States. So this is a place people don't really realize this, but there's um, a huge number of California condors up there. And so we had the opportunity to go up there and just um, taking some of the expedition members and a student from Occidental College and giving them the opportunity to see this place and see these condors up close. I mean, it was, it's spectacular. Oh, super quick. Condor is a type of vulture and it's inky black and huge. And it was on the brink of death, but is being bred in captivity and released and it eats dead things. And it, it, it doesn't have a song. It just grunts sometimes. And since I was in an ornithology lab, I had one more very important scientific question. My friend Daylin Rodriguez has a question about condors. She wants to know, are they the most goth of all the birds? (laughs) Um, I don't know, because I think, I mean, they're they're pretty goth. I mean, with that, with the shaved head. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you for entertaining these questions. (laughs) Absolutely. To learn more about John McCormick's work, you can follow on Instagram at 
MLZ Birds, which is the account for the Moore Lab of Zoology at Occidental College. You can follow me at Allie Ward with one L on Instagram or Twitter and at Ologies on Instagram. We're also on Twitter. Also, just a heads up, since we recorded this, we also did a whole condorology episode, and I'll link that in the show notes. It's so good. So ask smart people simple questions because it's the, really the fastest way to fill up your brain, and it's free. So to learn more about John McCormick, you can follow on Instagram at MLZBirds, which is the account for the Moore Lab of Zoology at Occidental College. You can follow me at Ali Ward with one L on Instagram or Twitter or ologies on Instagram. We're also on Twitter. I recently started posting more on TikTok at Ali underscore ologies. John is also on Twitter at LA Evolving, and I'll link those in the show notes. And for more Smologies episodes, you can head to AliWard.com slash Smologies, which is linked in the show notes, alongside a bunch of folks who help make the show possible. We try to make this small, so we'll link them in the show notes. But big thanks to Mercedes Maitland of Maitland Audio and Jarrett Sleeper for turning this into a Smologies episode from the full-length one. And if you stick around until the end of the episode, I give you a piece of advice. And this one is that arranging your clothes in rainbow order in your closet on hangers, it makes hanging them up more fun. And it looks nice when you're done. And I have hung mine like that for years because it makes laundry feel like a puzzle or a game. Okay, that's enough out of me. Until next time, Smologites. Bye-bye. You love the Beatles.